Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, a Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up today, we'll be discussing the results of a survey of 4,000 Manchester United fans on topics including transfers, the Glazers, and yes, the future of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as the manager. We'll also reflect on a video that you may have seen this week of United's CEO of Media, and we'll be asking the panel what they thought of that. Plus, there'll be a roundup of all the latest squad news, including Holidays and Paul Pogba's thigh. I'm Ian Irving. With us today, as always, is the Athletics Manchester United correspondent, Laurie Whitwell. Hi, Laurie. Hi, Ian. You okay? And United We Stand editor and Athletic contributor, Andy Mitten. Hi, Andy. Hi, Ian. So, Andy, you had um, a bit of a hand in, in putting this together uh, and writing up the results of, of the survey. Um, it was wide-reaching, lots of questions, lots of topics. I think probably the biggest takeaway, and it's been put in bold in the running order, is that 69% of Manchester United fans surveyed say that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer should leave immediately. Yeah, I was asked to comment on all the answers. Um, I didn't do the survey questions and I went through all the answers and the responses and I think a lot of them were quite fair, actually. I think that that 69% figure is is not inaccurate from the feedback I get anecdotally uh, speaking to people. Um, the question before that was asking what kind of job Ollie's done overall and over half said that he's done a good job well only 4.9 percent said he did a bad job and 1.2 percent a terrible job and I thought that was just fair um, I was actually surprised it was so positive given the, the current mood among um, supporters but it seems that people have looked at it over the last three years which is quite right for that question rather than the last two months and stripped out the current emotion which is obviously a febrile mood uh, following the really, really bad results. So there's um, a lack of support for the manager staying. That can change if Manchester United were to win the last 10 games. But as we speak at the moment, following the poor results and performances, uh, that's the situation that we're in. Does that number surprise you, Laurie? 69%? No, it feels about right. I mean, you know, every time we do a tweet or every time we do a, a Q&A on The Athletic or even just a, an article, um, the, the dominant theme of the comments, the, of the replies is about Solskjaer and we should be harder on Solskjaer or, you know, why isn't Solskjaer been sacked yet? Um, We're getting know, sort of pulled into the Gary Neville argument at times, aren't we? I've seen quite a few tweets saying, why aren't you saying that Solskjaer should be sacked? Yeah, I mean, I, I sent a lengthy reply to one commenter yesterday, I probably shouldn't have done, but just... 
uh, who You're was being a keyboard warrior again, Laurie. A, a, a tiny bit. I just thought I'd try and explain myself a little bit to kind of ex, you know give a, a view of, of where I'm coming from as a journalist in terms of reporting the news. So if if I'm sort of reporting what's happening, that surely that's the principal thing that we're trying to do rather than write an opinion piece about why Ollie should be sacked. But at the same time, I understand where people are coming from because it's not been anywhere near good enough. And I don't think Ollie could have any grievances really with being sacked right now because United were aspiring towards challenging for the title this season. And, and the way it's looking is that they're going to be in a struggle to qualify for the Champions League. There's, there's fragmentation in the squad, on the pitch, with what players are thinking about the situation. So I can understand totally where people are coming from when they say Solskjaer should should go. Um, 70%, you know, it's not absolutely you know, unanimous decision. And I do think it's right that you should acknowledge the fact that people are saying he's going to done a good job. Um, you know, overwhelming majority are saying he's done a good job. And that, you can't get away from that. I think that's kind of what I'd always just hope that the, the discourse is, just the fact that let's just have a calm head about it and try and see things through different eyes you know not you know not, not, not let's not be myopic about it and, and let's not get too scathing or, or too, I appreciate football's about emotion and you know I, I love the tribalism you know it's all about fans having a go at each other and, and you can certainly have edgy opinions about your own manager um, but perhaps just also think about the fact that you know he is a, a legend of the club you know creating one of the most memorable moments that I've experienced as a fan so let's not denigrate him too much. Yeah, of course, you can go to The Athletic and have a look at this survey and the results of it. We're just going to sort of pick out some of the headlines, really, to reflect on uh, on Talk of the Devil. So it's interesting what you say, though, because both of you have picked up on this. So essentially 90% of people said that Solskjaer had either done a good or OK job since Jose Mourinho had gone, which I think I think is interesting to reflect on. And it sort of feeds in, Andy, to that idea that Rio Ferdinand was talking about. You know, He's sort of been the first one, really, to sort of step forward and say that Ollie needs to pass the baton on. I think that was his, his exact phrasing. Um, and this idea that if it is to go on longer, if it is to get worse, maybe, you know, that that sort of idea that Solskjaer's done a good job overall begins to become eroded almost. Ollie always said he would attempt to leave the club in a better state than the one that he found it in. And I think he could, if he left right now, he could put forward his argument for that. What tends to happen if new managers come in is they completely disagree with that and they say everything needs changing again. We've seen it with every single manager since Sir Alex Ferguson. They want to bring in the five, six, seven of their own players. Um, Laurie's quite right about some of the abuse. Some of it is way beyond the pale. There's, there's humans here with families. Their families are reading some of this stuff. A lot of the abuse is anonymous, cowardly, in my opinion. And Ollie knows that he is going to be under intense pressure all the time. Um, he knows as manager of Manchester United, you're going to get you're going to get stick all the time that you can't do right um, for doing wrong. And criticism is part of that as well. And, and constructive criticism is absolutely right when the team are as bad as they are now. Some of it, anonymous is, on, on social media, is absolutely vile. Some of the fans pushing for people to sack him. I remember... David Ornstein getting it really badly with Unai Emery. It was basically, why aren't you personally sacking Unai Emery? And as Laurie said, um, as a journalist, it's news and comment. Your job is to report on what's going on. I remember it with Jose Mourinho. I got a lot of stick. Why aren't you calling for him to be sacked? Why are you supporting him? And I've seen one or two of the people who had a go at me then. 
hawking back and saying that Mourinho is a man. And I think you utter hypocrites. But of course, they're anonymous. They can they can do that. They can say that. I think there's been a, a, a big difference up until recently between um, online and what's going on in the stadium. But even now inside the stadium, there's a lot of people got major doubts about Oli Gunnar. And I think that 69% figure, as Laurie says, is, is pretty accurate. And that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, across the board so it's not a good mood at the moment it's a pretty bleak situation for this two-week international break and then we've got that big big run of fixtures coming up maybe ollie will stay and turn it around completely that's the best case scenario like right now that looks improbable because of the way that the team have been playing yeah one of the reflections i had from the derby really was that manchester city fans sang solskjaer's name more than the manchester united fans and sometimes when that happens you get a reaction as well, don't you, from the home crowd that they'll try and drown out the City fans and try and... Because it was loud, you know. There's no doubt whatsoever that Solskjaer would have heard it on the touchline. There wasn't really much of a reaction from the home crowd to try and pull Oli out of that situation, which is probably as close as United fans have got in, in recent weeks, along with the boos maybe at half-time and, and some of the Donny van der Beek chanting to actually showing in one way or another, their sort of lack of support at the minute for the manager. I mean, Laurie as well, another interesting part of this survey was sort of looking into the reasons why it's not going well for Manchester United at the moment. Uh, Ronaldo keeps getting brought up, doesn't he? But 70% say that it was the right choice uh, to re-sign Cristiano Ronaldo, which of course, like you were saying before, means that 30% of people, a third of United fans in this survey, believe that maybe it wasn't the right choice. But looking sort of deeper into sort of specifics on Solskjaer, Tactics are the thing that comes out of this survey really, really strongly. The biggest reason for bad results, 80% tactical approach, 67% say that his own tactical awareness is the biggest problem. That's pretty harsh, those two, isn't it? Yeah, and that's not what you want from a manager. You want to have a manager who is um, astute in those moments and is, is enhancing the team. Um you know, and then so so people are saying that basically they don't think that Solskjaer's enhancing the team. The opposite, really, that he's not getting the best out of them. Um, There's another stat that I saw, another result um, in terms of Solskjaer's performance right now. So obviously the the kind of good performance that we spoke about that was since Mourinho. They were also asked to judge his performance right now, and the results were 47% bad and 44% terrible, which is pretty you know pretty stark. And but you can't really argue with it because. You look at the the matches that United have lost this season or, or drawn, and you can you can point the finger at Solskjaer in, in pretty much all of them. Yes, you can point the finger at players making mistakes, catastrophic mistakes at times, but the Leicester game, for example, was a really bizarre one where players didn't seem to know what they were doing. It was chaos, and it was it was managing the game towards the end of the game as well. You know, a two-two late on, it was rushing Harry Maguire back from injury when you can scrutinise that decision. Um, Liverpool game being told to press the players high up when clearly Liverpool could just ping it round them and okay maybe the players were at fault for not adhering to that correctly and, and not having the cohesion but equally they, they should be drilled to, to do that properly um, and, and absolutely understanding what's asked of them and then yeah the City game was a case of it felt like trying to stem the bleeding you know keep it to 2-0 which is it was a really sad look for Manchester United at home in a derby you can also say, listen, they went to Spurs and he changed systems and it worked perfectly. But I suppose it was a an obvious choice to make, really. Go go more solid, you know, have Cavani and Ronaldo up front. But overall, yeah, I can see where, where fans are coming from and, and saying that Solskjaer 
needs to be better. And, and that's been the thing that, ev- that has been questioned of him, you know, since he got the job. Because yeah, there's been moments where they've beaten City, they've beaten Liverpool in the FA Cup, or you know, they've beaten PSG away, beaten Spurs. They've beaten all these teams, and Solskjaer's found like a sort of tactical plan to do so. But overall, you're sort of thinking, is he is he there in the moments, in the key moments, to make a difference on the touchline, make those changes that need to be made during a game, sensing exactly when they need to be made, and and that's been the kind of consistent theme throughout. And I think it's kind of coming to the fore a little bit more right now. A lot of legitimate points there. Some of the games where she United have won have been really impressive, and I know that the coaches completely reject this idea that they're. They're tactically clueless, that they're inexperienced. They would say that they've got hundreds of games of top-flight experience um, and they just reject it. Now, they're going to reject it because it's a direct criticism on their work. Results set the mood for everything. If Manchester United were winning all the time, we wouldn't even be having these conversations. There wouldn't be this anger online. There wouldn't be people frustrated and looking to apportion blame everywhere the, the bottom line is United are not doing as well as they should be at the moment and fans are angry about it you touched on the point about singing the manager's name fans sang it a lot at Tottenham and that tactically was really smart of United I think with Varane playing it makes a big difference he started six games in the league United have won four and drawn one of them United fans sang Oli's name in Bergamo last week a lot less of that at the weekend as you said it was Manchester City fans singing it. I don't think Oli can have any complaints at all about the support that he's had. And when he left the pitch at the end, he was applauding the Stratford end. And some of them were applauding back and some of them were booing. And as journalists, it's our job to accurately write what is going on. And that is what went on. He's definitely lost support among all fans, including the match-going fans. But overall... United fans have been really, really supportive of, of all the managers and I don't think they've differentiated massively, even if privately they know that there's issues there. You know, People in Bergamo singing Ollie's name know that there are massive issues there. They've got the doubts, but support is support at matches and I think that's right. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Okay, let's move it on from the manager because by no means was that the only topic covered in this survey. Um, We'll reflect on the opinion of the owners uh, in a minute because it's not brilliant from this survey. But the players actually, Laurie, come out of it unscathed. Um, 17% feel that it's the biggest reason for bad results at the moment. The, The responsibility of that is on the players. But then the direct question, who is responsible for the current situation? Only 5% say the players. They've come out of it quite well, haven't they? That really surprises me. <laughs> Does it? Just yeah. Why? I mean, listen. Maybe the maybe Ollie's the lightning rod, justifiably so. He's the manager. He's been there for three years. This is, to all intents and purposes, his squad. Okay, yeah, I'm sure he'd prefer to have a central defensive midfielder. Or I think your cat agrees. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, 
and so this is his squad and uh yeah so that's why he is the focus of all this um but i mean i would also just sort of say the guys are on the pitch surely you know you can't absolve them of blame they're there kicking the ball around whatever the managers told them whatever the, the setup they've got they are well-paid footballers who have got pedigree international footballers and some of the mistakes they're making are ridiculous I mean, look at the way Aaron Wan-Bissaka played against Man City. And, and, you know, he played well against Tottenham, but he was atrocious against Man City. Eric Bailly, you know, horrendous own goal. Like, how, how is that on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? Um, Luke Shaw letting the ball drift at the far post, um, up top. It should be more coming from players in terms of knowing when to press. I, I know that you need a coordination, but equally, you can have some effort. Sometimes the effort looks like it's lacking a little bit. And whether that's just belief or confidence, I don't know. But I think 5% when they're literally the people on the pitch kicking the ball around is very, very low. Yeah, it's, pro- it's probably right to point out that it was sort of a, a choice between players, manager, owners, you know, the, the, who's responsible for the current situation. And, and I, I guess it's probably just a reflection, Andy, of the fact that they're the lesser of all the evils at the minute. Yeah, if if you got one choice in a multiple uh, choice survey question, people would probably said that Ollie is more culpable than the players, and you can argue that uh, the players absolutely should take some of the blame as well, because as Laurie said, it's not Ollie's fault that Paul Pogba lost the ball at Leicester. Harry Maguire did what he did. Players are making basic mistakes. I think confidence is definitely low. You can see that when United go behind, um, you go, oh no, not again. The team can't keep clean sheets. They keep going behind. Even when um, United are in control of a game, which is rare, they struggle to do it. Teams tend to get back in uh, into the matches. And they're not the games which United are chasing for Ronaldo to save the day. So it's really worrying on so many levels. You know, United have conceded 17 goals in 11 league games so far. After 11 league games last year, it was also 17 goals. United rose to second last year. But United started last season terribly. The issue with the defence was hoped to be solved uh, with the signing of Varane. And I still think Varane's a great player, but he's got to be playing all the time. He can't be in and out. The three English defenders, Luke Shaw, Harry Maguire and Wan-Bissaka, I don't know why their their performance levels have dropped off, but they have done. We're watching it. We're there in the stadiums. We're seeing with our own eyes. They can get it back, totally get it back. But at the moment, they're not playing well. And, and our job as journalists is to report on that. And Andy, last but not least, we need to reflect on... The fans' opinion in this survey of the Glazers, um, 65% believe that they are responsible for the current situation. And I think probably for the hierarchy, the most damning part of this survey was that 94% do not believe that the right people are in place to make the right choice for the next Manchester United manager. What do you think about those two results? I'm not surprised. I think 65% went for the Glazers are responsible for United's current situation, whereas the manager only got 24%, the players 4.6%. You saw a flag in the away in the Atalanta last week which said the rot starts at the top. The Glazers have never been popular among fans, nor was the previous chairman, Martin Edwards. Fans will, will always go for the owners, and the current owners used a highly leveraged buyout to take control of the club in very controversial circumstances. I don't think that takeover should ever been allowed to happen but it did and legally so the Glazers take millions in dividends um, and they're always going to be criticized over a a popular former player I think the Super League in April as well the fact that the Glazers were ready to sign up for that only adds to the mistrust 
Uh, they've started communicating with fans after 16 years of, of no communication. Uh, they've been praised for their commercial acumen. And also, you've got to say, in lockdown, United were excellent and those orders came right from the top. But then look at the stadium. It's not received sufficient investment since the Glazers took over in 2005. And United have drifted from being perennial winners to, to also runs. And yet United have spent hundreds of millions. They've bought top, top players. So whatever you say about the Glazers, the manager should be doing better than, than what he's doing too. I can't ever see the time when the Glazers are going to be popular among Manchester United fans, nor those who follow them. You know, I remember every single chief executive, um, David Gill, Peter Kenyon, fans will always go for the executives over uh, players. And that's just part of the job, that they're the ones who have to make the unpopular decisions. Often it was like ticket prices and stuff like that. To be fair, United's ticket prices, they've been the same for a decade now. Uh, there's been good interaction between fans and the club, which leads to things like uh, the Red Army section and the Stratford end. Um, concessions for drinks and stuff like that. I welcome all of that stuff, but you're never, ever going to get the majority of Manchester United fans to think fondly of the Glazers. And Laurie, the fact that nearly all fans surveyed, or well, 6% are the only ones against this, feel that the right people are in place to make the choice on the next manager. I mean, that that probably, of everything in that survey, that is probably the worst thing from the club's perspective, isn't it? Yeah, because it shows you know the perception of long-term inadequacy. Because if you've not got people in place to make those decisions, then how on earth can you then respect the people that they put in charge to, to actually uphold what United should be about? And yeah, the thing with the Glazers is that they bought the club to make money. The people that they've got in place, for me, they've got them in place so that they can maintain control of the club. So Ed Woodward was obviously the, the banker that got them, the JP Morgan pick loans to, to get the club um, taken over in the first place so he obviously has been in charge as the chief exec for a number of years we're, we're told Richard Arnold's going to take over him and Ed Woodward have obviously worked closely he, Richard Arnold knows the Glazers and listen Richard Arnold might be his own man but his history is in banking is an investment is in commercial side of football it's not been in speaking to agents you know having a big database of all these different managers that are around the place so obviously there's going to be questions about does he really know who the right manager to appoint should be They've obviously got Darren Fletcher and John Murta in as you know football director and technical director, but how much authority are they going to be given in the, in the decision? So that is why there's that huge doubt about whether or not the people in charge are actually the right people to make the decision on this. Okay, you can go and have a look for yourself at the results of this survey and Andy's reflections on it as well, all up on The Athletic at the moment. And before we move on, the big question was also answered as part of this survey. Who is to blame for Donny van der Beek's struggles? Andy, 72% say Solskjaer, 5% say Donny. He might get a run now though, might he? We're going to reflect on Pogba's injury in a bit. I suspect Donny will get a run and the manager gets the blame for it right now. I think with things so bad now and midfielders like Fred derided, Donny might get a chance to, to properly prove himself because he's an exciting player. I watched him in the Bernabeu for the Ajax team and they ripped Real Madrid apart. Real Madrid were the best team in the world at the time. So it's quite natural that fans were really excited when he joined and baffled that he barely plays. I'm told that he struggled with the physical side um, in training. And again, I've said on this podcast before, it's a big jump up from the Dutch league to the Premier League. Not everyone can be like Ruud van Nistelrooy. I gave the example of Steven Pienaar, who felt that he needed to go to Germany from Holland, then to Everton. And uh, he said, you've got to be patient. 
well, fans have been patient, but he signed a season and a half ago, and I think fans would would like to see him. I don't honestly know whether he is a solution or not, but I'd love the idea of him coming good and suddenly, you know, having the impact that that Bruno had when he signed. Maybe that's wishful thinking. Oh, I can't believe that. I can't believe that. Football, by the hell. Okay, lots have been made then as to how players at Manchester United and beyond react post-match on social media. I know us three have had our say at times this season and there was an interesting interview, wasn't there, this week? You've probably seen it already with United CEO of media Phil Lynch on the Sports Pro podcast. Let's hear what he had to say then about how the club work with players, the Ronaldo effect on social channels and the club's audience growth strategy. Each one of these players are individuals. Some want charity focus, someone family focus, someone just football focus. And I think it's really trying to understand what narrative they want to tell. And then we're here to help support that narrative. I think, you know, it does get a little tricky sometimes because I think there's there's a lot of the the mass media out there trying to build that story, trying to find that tabloid piece of content. That's not what we do at all. We're, we're trying to work with them and understand the narrative and the story they want to get out. And then we support that. And we join forces on it. I think to your question about, you know, how do we work with them? We pull twice a day um, social media fan sentiment graphs for every single one of our players. Uh, and we have certain thresholds um, that, that alert us when we see fan sentiment going one way, whether that be a personal issue, whether that be an on-pitch performance issue, and when that happens, we then start to work with the player and his team individually to kind of try to start to counter that narrative a little bit, because in a lot of cases, you know how it is, it's just emotion and it comes up and it comes down anyway. But we do spend a lot of time on what we call social media monitoring and tracking and then working specifically with each individual players. But again, it's 25 bespoke processes. It's not, hey, here's here's the game plan and it's going to work for all of you. Now, I would be pretty naive to think that this doesn't go on. <laughs> but um, Laurie, you're laughing. What are you laughing at? It just it, so much of it was just beyond what I would think somebody should be saying publicly about this. Yeah, fair. Why is he sort of pulling back the curtain and sort of telling people that this is what's going on? It just it, especially it feels, now. Well, I think was it done in October? I think I mean yeah. Okay, it's obviously not that long ago, but yeah, it, clearly the, the way that the mood is at United, this coming out feels so at odds with it it just feels a bit tainted doesn't it it feels like okay so what we're we're seeing listen i think nobody thinks that the players write their own social media posts i think that's sort of obvious you know certainly not all of them anyway you know it might be a handful but this Probably idea the Kaku does yes fair yeah <laughs> <laughs> luke shaw to be fair i think obviously because he had the pop back didn't he when uh, that was all going off with, with him and romelu um but I think this. I think it's just this idea that fans can be manipulated. Or I suppose they they think it's customers, right? So it's like you know, if we see somebody having a bit of a dip on social media, the graphs that we pull, it just feels so scientific and kind of um, sanitized. You know, it, it just be human about this. Just be upfront and, and open. I mean, having a a CEO. Uh, of media, I didn't even know United had a chief executive of media. I must say, uh, and I don't know like how that sort of permeates out, but um, just th- this idea that you can kind of they can change the narrative around a player, what by by posting a couple of tweets, like surely just do the business on the pitch and the player can speak properly in interviews, and that that's the that's all you need. That's the narrative that you need. Um, 
and this idea that you know media for them are quite pesky because they sometimes you know write their own narratives around these players it just it baffles me that this well, it doesn't baffle me I can I can understand from a from a business point of view that's all, that's all they're thinking about isn't it they're thinking about the the bottom line but it it kind of it baffles me that this is he's saying these things publicly to such a degree where you, you can all you can do is laugh about it at the end of it it doesn't reflect very well I don't think Andy, while you were listening to that, I was watching your face. You shook your head, you grimaced, you looked out the window longingly for a little while and you yawned. Was that a reflection of what you thought? <laughs> I think the timing of it's really bad. That's the, Phil who did that, he can't control the timing. He put it out now when everyone's fuming. That doesn't help at all. I mean, he, he was brought in by the Glazers and probably by the metrics he was given. They will think that he's doing uh, a good job, but... There's a phrase in the north of England, you can't polish a turd. <laughs> Spot on. I'm sorry. That is it. I'm sorry. Right. People are not stupid. And it's all right talking about metrics and, and narratives. You know what you're watching with your own eyes. You know if it's good, you know if it's bad. It really is that simple. Football is not a complicated game. Yes, some of the abuse online is horrendous. Yes, um, real people at the club shouldn't be exposed to some of that abuse that's a, a wider issue for society for the social media platforms as well but you cannot pretend that everything is well if it is not well it is that simple and the media exists to tell the truth now in football there's many versions of the truth so we'll all watch one game and we'll all have slightly different versions and that's fine but you can't pretend that um, things are good if they're not good and I think you're seeing a good example of that at the moment. The worst thing about this from, from their perspective, and you can argue whether he should have done it or not, I'd probably say no because maybe within within industry talk, yes, do it, but fans don't tend to like hearing from clubs' executives. Anyway, whatever they've got to say, they just don't, unless it's like we're going to be signing, well, Ronaldo. <laughs> <laughs> or, um, they and and to be fair, even Ed Woodward said that the the stars are the people who are there on the pitch. But no, I think he, Phil has been absolutely hammered for that for that interview, um, and and I'm not surprised why. I, I like obviously players will want support in in you know how their profile is managed, but it just yeah, just please don't show us how the sausage is made. We've sort of talked a lot about apologies and and posting apologies and how empty the apologies have felt and also sort of in post-match interviews as well the the words sort of felt quite hollow after the Manchester derby I think I was saying on on the last podcast um there is a difference though sometimes in how these sort of posts are received amongst maybe fans who are at the games and fans who are who are watching at home older fans and younger fans there's a difference Andy between all of the the reactions that people actually have to these things it's not aimed at us yeah true it it just it just isn't. What was hard and hacked? The mean? club would say that, but it's not aimed at journalists. It's probably not aimed at hardcore fans either. And you can see um, the social media output from the club. It's become like a Ronaldo fest, and that probably gets loads of engagements. And we cannot think we're the only demographic of people who follow Manchester United because it is a global demographic. People of all different ages, and they follow the club in many many different ways. I. Walked to the ground last week and met two people who were Ronaldo fans, you know. And my little brother, who's 14, 
sees things very, very differently to, to what I do. He consumes Manchester United media in a very different way to, to what I do. He would never buy a fanzine, whereas we know we have hardcore fans who buy, buy all the fanzines. People li- listen to different podcasts. Some people like the shock jock reactions um, rather than more balanced content. We're part of that as well at The Athletic. I'd like to think that we do our jobs properly as journalists. We've got good contacts. We do our research properly. And what we put out there is reliable, it, it, it's trustworthy, but there are very many different strands to the media in a, in a fast-changing landscape as well. And you can see that some of the stuff which gets the most engagement is absolute nonsense. It's complete nonsense. But it, it's not aimed at us. It just isn't. It, it is a marketing tool. And that also has its own worries. But United have courted this global market for years and years. What do they expect? So the international break's just getting started. Then no Premier League fixture, of course, for Manchester United until away at Watford on November the 20th. Players seem to be dropping out of squads left, right and centre. Some have flown away on international duty and come back. Some have flown away on international duty and stayed there. Some have even flown away on holiday, it seems, this week. The ones who haven't been called up to international duty. Some have been picking up MBEs. Some have been injured. We're going to look at all of that over the course of these next few minutes on the podcast. So, I mean, first of all, we need to start with Paul Pogbrandy, I think, don't we? Out till January, potentially, with a thigh injury. The newspaper's absolutely full of stories that he won't play or he maybe won't play for Manchester United again. How do you see it? Well, he might not play for United again. And I'll go back a year ago when someone messaged me, he won't play for United again. I said, really? What's your source on that? He won't play again. Look, look, I'm asking you as a journalist, what is your source for that information? He said, it's in my waters. So can I write that, can I? And he did play again. And he had some very, very good games, especially at the start of, of this year. Now, he's another one whose stock is really low. I think a lot of fans have run out of patience with him. Uh, he can start talking to clubs in January and he can leave at the end of the season. And we don't know what's going to happen now. The line I've had this year consistently is that Paul Pogba's been amenable to signing a contract at United. Well, he hasn't signed one. The club have offered him one. The club have offered him an awful lot of money to, to stay and he's chosen uh, not to sign it. Now, his view is, is at liberty to choose. It's his choice and it is his choice and he's under contract. But would I be stunned if he never played again? No, I wouldn't. Equally, I wouldn't be stunned if he came back and scored some fantastic goals because that's been the story of Paul Pogba since he came to Manchester United. Another way this has been reported, Laurie, is that it's sort of adding to Solskjaer's problems, Pogba being out potentially until the new year. Is it adding to his problems? I think so, yeah, because a player, I know that he's not been in great form, that the, the Bergamo performance was pretty disastrous, but I still think a player of his quality, to have him as an option, is, is a good thing for Solskjaer. He obviously needs to find the right moments to, to use him, but you think back to the start of the season, he was electric, wasn't he, when he was producing all those assists. You know, I think he's still, is he still best assister in the Premier League at the moment? Um, so I still think he's got loads to um, offer Manchester United in that regard. So I think it is a, 
a, a poorer thing for him not being available than, than if he'd been fine. Um, we were told eight to ten weeks with this thigh injury. I think United have still got to assess him, so they're sort of reserving judgment on that. Looks like he's back in England now. He did that Instagram post anyway. He was talking about it. But he's had a few injuries like this around this time of year as well. So it's it's it has been a bit frustrating. You know, you kind of want a full season of, of Paul Pogba at his best and United haven't had that. It feels like a bit stop start, but I still think, you know, Solskjaer would rather have him available than not. Yeah, Luke Shaw, of course, pulled out the England squad as well with concussion after um suffering that in the Manchester Derby. Marcus Rashford also pulled out the England squad with illness and then picked up his MBE. As you do. Well done, Marcus. Very proud of you, of course. We all are for what you've done. Um, Mason Greenwood's an interesting one. Again, Andy as well. I mean, Southgate spoke at length a couple of weeks ago about this. What, what, what's the truth? What, what, why does Mason Greenwood not seem to be part of the England squad at the moment? I don't think he wants to be part of the England squad at the moment. He wants to concentrate on his club football. He's been doing very well. Um, maybe not until very recently, but he's an in, incredibly good prospect for Manchester United. And I'm told that professionally he's really matured over the last couple of years. Uh, I did a big piece on him last Friday for The Athletic, talking about the way that he can be used in, in different positions. So it, it was an A1 report as far as I was concerned. If he doesn't want to play for England or be substitute for England, then that is up to him. He will have plenty of time. And I think Gareth Southgate's been quite pragmatic about this. You know, Mason's only just turned 20 if he's starring for Manchester United, then he's going to get into the England team. And if he's not, then he won't. And we've seen that with Jadon Sancho. If you're, if you're not playing for, for your club, then you're going to struggle to play for your country. We've seen it with Luke Shaw as well. I know that historically a lot of players, they've gone away on the England camps, which takes them away from the families. They're not just training five miles away. They're, they're properly away and they can be away for a long period of time. They're travelling too much as it is. So the attraction, certainly not a financial one. Um, I still think a lot of them really do like the idea of representing the, their country. I don't think there'd be too much sorrow from Manchester United fans if a lot of them never played for England uh, again, although that relationship is not as bad as it was 20 years ago when Manchester United players were being booed by England fans. And there's a lot of excitement around England now. They've clearly got a good manager and a, and a good good team, but they want to duck out of a couple of matches, which they don't think are hugely important. That's their choice. Yeah, there's a story that you've written about Mason Greenwood, actually, it's still on The Athletic from, I think, last week, Andy, about sort of him fitting into Manchester United's system and a bit of an update on where he's at at the minute. And speaking of articles on The Athletic about Manchester United forwards, Jadon Sancho, um, Laurie, you've written one about him, uh, you know, an even bigger conundrum at the minute than Mason Greenwood, really. He had a good time for England during the last international break, so he should enjoy it this time as well, yeah? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, if, if he was there, <laughs> obviously, as you know. Um, yeah, it, he's, he's one where Southgate's looked at and gone, he's not getting enough games. I mean, he even said it in the last international break, didn't he, Southgate, where he said he's, he's lucky to be in the squad, which is a slightly odd thing to say, having picked him. And Solskjaer came back and said, did he not see him again? Leave our players alone, Gareth. Villarreal. Well, that's it. You sort of think, actually, you know, Rashford, Lingard, Sancho, Greenwood, all at home during this international break could they be doing something so that's that's where I'm I was a little bit perhaps surprised I mean they've gone that Solskjaer's gone away on a break and you know you kind of giving players some time off um I know that some are in for doing different bits of work and listen maybe I'm being churlish in the fact that actually you've got a huge run of games coming up but I just sort of wonder it's, it's kind of more it's, there's a bigger cohort of Man United players staying 
this international break than they usually would be. Usually it'd be all of them going off on international break, but actually you've got, you know, Donny van der Beek, Dean Henderson, you've got quite a few that are sort of staying around. But with Jaden Sancho, yeah, he is not part of Southgate's plans for these couple of games. I mean, it is Albania and San Marino, so it's not the two sort of most gruelling of fixtures. Um, but his, his situation is a, is a conundrum, really. When United have chased him hard for two years, wanted to sign him the year before that as well, ended up signing Daniel James. Um, for him to have featured in like 39% of matches so far, um, the, the minutes per, available to him, is not a, a, a total that you'd expect of a player with that kind of pursuit and, and brought in for that kind of money. I know that you can look at Jack Grealish at Man City and say, well, he was on the bench entirely for the for the derby. You know, is there enough, is there is there the same scrutiny on that situation as, as perhaps there is on the Jaden Sancho one? But it feels like Solskjaer doesn't exactly know what to do with him right now. You, you'd you'd ideally like him as the right wing. He was he was bought to be the right winger, wasn't he? Uh, and then. Greenwood is is kind of in that position because Ronaldo's the centre forward. Okay, Greenwood might not have always played centre forward anyway, but it feels like there's there's a domino effect there. And then particularly with this change of formation where you've gone to a back three with you know wing backs and, and a central striking partnership, it doesn't exactly suit Sancho. Although one of the details that was in the piece was that um, <coughs> coaches have looked at Jaden Sancho as a, a right wing back, which some fans might look at and go. That's, yeah, as you are a little bit there, Ian, sort of looking a little bit puzzled. But I, I don't have a, a big issue with that because I think, listen, they've not actually done it yet. And I don't, I don't mind just sort of exploring different solutions to, to situations. And I think it would only ever be a case of him <laughs> still scrunching your face like you're still not having it, are you? It's a £70 million right winger. Play him on the right wing. Yeah, I think it'd only ever be a case of against like the teams that perhaps sit in. So you would basically be playing as a right winger anyway. I've done an interview with Ethan Laird that should be out on the Athletic soon. And for Swansea, he's 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 a right wing back and he basically plays as a right winger, judging by his, his pitch map. So that's that's the only sort of caveat I'd say there. But the piece on online sort of talks a little bit about his struggles in terms of the ear infection that he had. Interesting at the start detail of the season. in that, Laurie. Actually, yeah. Just tell us tell us a little bit more about why or some of the mitigation, why it was so tough for him at first. Yeah, so he had, he had an ear infection that United never really spoke about just because I think they just didn't want to, you know. Um, but he was, like, training with sort of um, uh, cotton in his ears. Um, you know, sort of basically wasn't at full potential, really. Uh, and then he had a calf injury that I think um, caused him to miss the first England camp anyway. Um, and so he wasn't sort of fully, fully at it. Um, and there's a little bit of perhaps a, a slight puzzlement about the number seven shirt. You know, United actually had a, the project internally, uh, we're told, was called, you know, I think Sancho seven two years ago. So it was clear that that was kind of going to be his number. And then Cavani came in. There was this idea that United had said to Sancho, still, you could have the number seven. But actually then Cavani was sort of like a bit put out by that and kind of didn't really want to hand it over. Um, and so then Sancho's come up with this sort of, you know, 25, that kind of is a, a bit of a, it's a number, it's not a, it's not a major issue, is it? But it does feel slightly odd and speaks to the kind of planning that goes on at United when, you know, this guy that was supposed to be the right winger for, for years to come has to kind of, you know, get a number that isn't the one that he'd ideally like. And then obviously Ronaldo comes in and gets the number seven. So there was stuff like that that I just thought was quite interesting. And also the, the pace of the Premier League, he, he, you know, he has acknowledged that it is a step up from the Bundesliga. I know he came through the academy system 
uh, with Watford and Man City, but it's another level entirely to them be in the top flight Premier League. And even international football, international football is a slower pace. He accepts that. It, he, it, apparently, by all accounts, he's working really hard. He acknowledges that he needs to um, just get better in that regard. But I, I've, I've been, I, I've, I've liked his performances more recently. And he's only had really cameos. But you look at that Man City game, and I watched it back, and he. I know it was 2-0 and you know you can say, well, the game was gone at that point, but he's making runs repeatedly in behind, he's linking, he's trying to dribble, he's passing it off, he's got great technique and he wasn't ever slumping his shoulders. He was, he looked like he was trying really hard even when he wasn't found and he was tracking back. There's a couple of moments where he's the guy in that left-back position um, cleaning up. You know, there's, a, there's, a, there's an occasion when I think uh, Jao Cancelo has a shot and it, it I think De Gea saves it and it kind of rebounds and you've got De Bruyne and, and Jesus there that would have gobbled it up if Sancho hadn't trapped back and got it and then he sort of dribbles it out as well. So I don't know, I, I like him and I, I'm I'm sure that he'll come good. It's just a case of adapting to the league and, and also settling into a team. Listen, he's, he's coming to a team that's in a bit of a crisis really, so it's to be expected that he's not hit his full potential yet. A last word from both of you. What do you think about players who haven't got an international duty and the manager going on holiday this week, Andy? I think that the manager could do with a break and he's having a break and spending some time with his family in Norway might not be a bad thing. Uh, he's worked very, very hard, as have a lot of the staff at the club. I made a point a couple of times that they considered last season and the season before to be like a two-year season because of the lack of, of, of breaks. I know the hours that some of them put in. Um, I was in Bergamo last week and said to somebody this is a beautiful city and it's like well, we'd love to see it and no one will have any sympathy for that because um they're highly paid and they're in occupations which are perceived to be glamorous but if the manager wants to go away for a few days during an international break ahead of a big run of games as laurie said i don't have a a, a big problem with it agree laurie <laughs> yeah i do i suppose i do i, I suppose i just i was just looking at it thinking because you've got a group of players there could could they be working on stuff at Carrington? It's it's obviously a difficult situation, I mean, but maybe that's not how that's you know living in cuckoo land because the reality of it is the players that are there are they all going to start? You're probably looking at Rashford and Greenwood as, as potential starters against Watford, the, the team that he's going to pick it are all away on international duty. What work can you actually do at Carrington? That was my only thought that could they be doing work at Carrington? Um, not to deny anyone a break or, you know, because it is, as you say, it's an intense situation and actually turning off for a little bit, just relaxing with people that you love, um, you can come back refreshed and emboldened. So, yeah, maybe I was a bit harsh in, in my surprise when I was texting you, Ian, and sort of just wondering, am I being am I being off here? What's the, what's the score? Um, but Andy's kind of covered it quite well there. Yeah, he's brought a level head to proceedings again, hasn't he? Uh, of course, keep a close eye on The Athletic across this international break for all the latest on the happenings at Manchester United and for Manchester United players on international duty as well. You can still get a 33% discount off a subscription to The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. But that's it for Talk of the Devils. Thank you to Andy and Laurie. Thank you to you guys for listening at home as always as well. We'll be back on Monday. Keep your eyes on the real-time section of the Athletic app as well. Laurie's going to be putting out a request for questions on that and we'll cover those in next week's pods as well. But for the minute, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Enjoy your holidays if you're lucky enough to get them. You're allowed them. Bye-bye.
The Athletic.